Human trafficking is the latest crime to be investigated by Hunter Grant, the ex-army reluctant detective created by Swedish Kiwi writer Tina Clough. It's the third outing for Hunter and his partner Dow after the Chinese proverb and one single thing. Enfolded, they're drawn into a new case after a passerby discovers folded origami notes containing pleas for help. Dominic Godfrey reads from the novel. Back at the house, the first thing we do is download the photos from Linda's phone to my laptop. There's a series of images. The first is the unfolded origami crane lying flat with a paper sugar straw beside it. We wanted to show the scale, explains Linda. It's hard to describe how tiny the writing is, but if you compare it to the print on the sugar straw, you get the idea. I tried to take it as close and as high definition as I could. All the writing's done with a pencil, and it must have been sharpened into a point like a needle. The letters are so tiny. We enlarge the photos on the screen and study them closely. It is nearly impossible to imagine how someone wrote those microscopic letters. The writing is lower case and very carefully formed. Help me, prisoner in 403. Two men, girl killed. Contact police and John Anderson, Boston, U.S. Mariko Goto. The text is less clear where fold lines intersect the words, but we can read it. The second origami is a bigger piece, also shown beside a sugar straw. The note reads, Help us, two girls, prisoner in 403, tell police, tell John Anderson, Boston, USA, one girl dead, two men next door in Mariko Goto's flat. The third note is bigger still, and there are numerous fold lines, but all the text is legible. Prisoner in 403, Mariko Goto, I have dropped many notes. Lots of girls have been kept here and taken away. Also, two boys. One girl was killed by the men. Go to police. Show note. Also, tell them, contact John Anderson, Boston, USA. The men took my phone. They are in flat next to this one where I am locked up. This is true. Not a joke. Please do something. Dow picks up the physics textbook and opens the front and then the back, holds it up for me to see. Look, the blank pages at the start and the end have been pulled out. I wondered where she got the paper, and folding them into origami, I bet she did that so they wouldn't just flutter away when she dropped them out the window. And origami shapes would catch someone's attention, but a flat piece of paper wouldn't. Very clever. Tina, with with Hunter and Dow, when you had finished your first novel, The Chinese Proverb, did you already know that you wanted to continue their story? I knew it fairly shortly after finishing it. I wasn't intending to originally. It was going to be a standalone book like my previous book, Running Towards Danger. But once I had finished it and had time to listen to the comments from people who'd read it, I realized that the relationship between Dow and Hunter was something that intrigued a lot of people. And then one reviewer made that famous comment, whether it's correct or not, that Hunter is New Zealand's Jack Reacher. And I thought, oh, well, you know, let's do another one. (laughs) I mean, I guess you've got the starting point for your third novel. You have the characters still developing, still growing, getting to know each other, all of those things. And Hunter still has a few issues he needs to deal with. But we start here uh, inside the the mystery. 
you can control how much you want to, to tell people about the setup to this, yes. uh, but this new situation in which they eventually find themselves. Yes, well, I decided to start, start from a different angle than I've ever started a book before, and that's to start with what is the, the situation, what is, what is wrong, where is the crime? Uh, because I wanted people to focus on Mariko, the Japanese student who accidentally happens to become involved in a very nasty situation and ends up locked up in a high-rise in the CBD in Auckland. Origami, and you'll see it on the cover of this beautiful <laughs> image of origami. Origami has a role to play here. Very ingenious. Yes, well, you know, that, that part of the, of the story is freely available, and I'm not spoiling anything now because it's on the back cover blurb. But because she has no means of safely attracting attention, I mean, she can't bang on the walls or anything because there are these people who took her are in the apartment with her. In an, she's just locked in a room. She decides to use small scraps of paper and write in tiny, tiny writing in the pencil she had in her bag, calls for help, and to avoid them blowing away when she drops them out of a fourth-floor window onto a busy street in Auckland. She folds them into tight little origami shapes so they kind of have a better chance of, of landing somewhere and being noticed. She hopes, of course, that a passerby will pick them up and act on the information. The person who gathers these, though, has her own reasons for not immediately going to the police. In fact, she, she catches up with a friend to try and get some advice. Yes, she, for reasons we'll find out later on in the book, is very reluctant to go to the police and give them her name and her details to hand these the first note over, and it's not till she finds a second one sometime later on her way to work, walking down the same footpath, that she decides she must act. And that's when the story really kind of takes off. We have Hunter and Dow. Now, since we last spent time with them, how's their relationship going? Well, it's ever-deepening, I think. They have they have a very many-faceted sort of relationship because they're very different. I mean, everything, age, background, ethnicity, experience, everything. But they do have some things in common that gives them a very close bond, quite apart from Hunter having found her and saved her in the first book. They have had traumatic things in their past, and she, through her having been enslaved as a child right through her teenage years by an abusive and very dangerous man. And he, from his war experiences in Afghanistan with the army. So they both have trauma in their backgrounds and they understand each other's need, what they need when things catch up with them, with nightmares or flashbacks. They can help each other. And that is the thing that initially bonds them. They work very much as a team in this story. I mean, Dow's right there in the action. She feels an affinity with um, Mariko's predicament, of course. You know, a young woman trapped, as you explained, Dow had been. Uh, but certainly she puts herself in danger, Dow. Well, she does. But she feels compelled to because she can't stop thinking about how this girl must be feeling when the police haven't found her and 
Hunter gets arrested and the police don't seem to be listening to anything she tries to tell them and she feels completely compelled to try and act on her own to see if she can achieve anything and by doing that she puts her life in danger. Hunter doesn't have to get involved with this, he's got other things going on in his life. Why does he sign up to get involved in this? He's still kind of recovering from the last two um, yes. cases that he's worked on. I think I think he is, and I don't think he would have if it hadn't been for, for Dow's reaction when they first are told by the friend of the woman who found the origami notes who has since disappeared. And they're told by this girl, Linda, about what the notes said. She has photographs of them unfolded on her face on her phone and the last thing that happened was that a physics textbook a university textbook was thrown out from this window and it has miles of very tiny writing between the lines of the printed text which tells them more and of course Dow relates to this girl's situation very strongly and Hunter always relates to Dow's emotions and her feelings. And that's why he decides, yes, they will do something. You would think this would be a fairly simple case, really, just take them to the police and the police will take action? They go to the apartment uh, eventually, well, when the notes are first handed in, and the man who opens the door sort of laughs and says, oh, God, it's my teenage cousin. She's such a silly girl. She was visiting and she loves playing tricks and she was writing notes and chucking them out the window, you know, with fake little messages. And the police go away. And when they finally do go back again, of course, the apartment is empty. Not only are these two men gone, but Mariko is gone too. You play with the narrators here. With Hunter, it's first person, um, but for, for much of the rest of the book, it's not. Why do you write it in that way? Well, I wanted to make a difference. Hunter has always been first person, and in this book and the last one also present tense, because I want the reader to see and hear and note things through his eyes, so to speak. I want what he picks up to be the information the reader gets not someone's descriptions in the past tense that this happened or that happened. It Everything is as he sees it, as it happens. You're in his shoes. But in the longish part where he is not present and Dow is acting on her own, I made it the past tense because if it felt like I was telling something that Hunter, who's, who's present we are usually in, has heard her story of what happened to her afterwards. Your browser history, Tina, must be really interesting. Oh, you, you my were, God. You were doing your drug research for the first one. For this one, we're looking at really human, human trafficking, illegal trafficking in young women. How, how did you go about your research for this? Most of it is things that I already knew quite a bit about because one reads it either on the internet or in books or in newspapers or whatever. The thing in this one that might alert the authorities to keep a kind of terrorist watch on me or something is the fact that I did I spent a lot of time researching hand grenades because I wanted exactly the right hand grenade for my purpose. I wanted a hand grenade that had a distinctive shape that was available 
to those who know how to get one throughout the world and which had the right what's called kill and blast radius. And I found it, and it's called an M67. You mentioned before that comparison, New Zealand's own Jack Reacher, Hunter Grant, uh, and I've just been watching The Gulf, which I think is a brilliant New Zealand crime series, done really, really well, something of the scandy about it, set on Waiheke Island. As you're writing these, do you have an eye to the screen? I do, in a way. I didn't to start with, but after one single thing, the second Hunter Grant book came out two years ago, I was contacted by a TV production company. It's a, it's a collaboration between a company in New Zealand and one in Australia. And they asked if the rights had been taken, etc., etc., which they hadn't. They read both books and decided to wait And I'm hoping that now that the third book has come out, which is kind of carries on from the first one. I mean, there are people in both books, apart from Hunter and Dow, in all three books that that flow through the action and develop their relationships with each other. I hope they will come back to me. Folded by Tina Clough is published by Lightpool.